This is the Voice Podcast Network. Welcome to episode two of the Turf and Burn podcast with your co-hosts, Caroline and Dylan. Oh, I didn't know if I was supposed to say my name, but we are back. We're going to be talking a lot of sports today. Um, some NHL, NFL. We're recording this. Pro- well, we're recording this before the March Madness Final Four has happened. I don't know when this is going to be released, so unfortunately, if we have some incorrect predictions, sorry about that. MLB Opening Day is also taking place this week. Lamar Jackson can't stop tweeting, so a lot of things to talk about in today's episode. Yeah, so we'll jump right into NHL. Um, we're gonna go into some deep dives of playoff standings, some interesting news that have happened this past week, and some trade requests and also just some um, players that have been on fire this season. So first off, I wanted to talk about, well, I wanted to check in with the playoffs, specifically talking about starting off with Dylan's favorite team, the Islanders, who have taken a little bit of a step back recently, but more specifically, their game against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Friday, March 24th, which featured the NHL's third or fourth Michigan goal well the thing about that is that whenever you see a cool play happen whether it's you know baseball basketball soccer NFL NHL against your team there's like the conflicting that was a really cool play but also shoot now we're losing the game and that's exactly what happened as you mentioned the Michigan goal was sort of like I didn't realize it happened at first I was like how did he score and then they show the replay and all of a sudden you see like it happened and you're sort of in shock as you mentioned the Islanders are Islanders are sliding I'm partially to blame for saying I'm finally confident in the team, and what do you know, they've gone a little losing streak since then. It's only two games. Still kind of confident. I mean, we're still in the driver's seat right now. We control our own destiny, even though we do have one more game played than all the other teams that are in the running. I still do think we're making the playoffs. We have a big game against the Capitals this week on Wednesday. Maybe that's an outing for Turf and Burn podcast. We shall see. But I think with that particular game, now that you're at the end of the season, it's time to pick up on points when you have the opportunity to do so, and this Wednesday is definitely one of those opportunities against a weaker opponent. Yeah, and I mean, you can really see, because a lot of the Michigan goals that have been occurring have been with really young players. We first saw Andre Svechnikov from the Carolina Hurricanes pull that out twice, and then Philip Forsberg, who is a little bit of an older player on the Prides, and then uh, Trevor Zegras and now Kent Johnson, and all... Three out of those four players are very, very young, like just starting in the lead. This is Kent Johnson's first year in the NHL. So we can see how I think the NHL has been shifting towards more skill. Um, And, you know, I I think it's interesting because you hear from the goalie's perspective that they get so upset when (laughs) the lacrosse or Michigan goal gets pulled off because all they really need to do is cover their posts. And I don't know what the Islanders defense is doing there because all you really have to do is just like check the stick or, like, you know, use a body, but no one was covering him behind the goals. So, um, yeah, love seeing. I know there's definitely some coaches that have issues with this, a.k.a. John Tortorella of the Flyers, who's already explained previously that he has a lot of distaste for, you know, the skill that's been happening. But I think we can see this with the NHL and also in other sports, like I'm sure with the NBA, how there has been more of a shift towards skill. Well, baseball also has this issue that's pretty similar. They call it the let the kids play movement. And it's basically all the young players in baseball. Jazz Chisholm is one of those guys, Yasiel Puig used to be, where they're saying, if you hit a home run, celebrate it. If you're going to do something crazy, like go crazy. So it's really a balance between 
There's a lot of old school managers. I know the Braves manager is around 70, 75 years old maybe, and he just says, hit the ball, run, and if you win, line up and handshake and congrats you on a good game. Jazz Chisholm of the Miami Marlins, and they now have a young manager in Skip Schumacher. They're basically saying, we want a party-like atmosphere at the stadium, and they want to just, you got a single, you can do a somersault for all I care. So it's really interesting to see how it's sort of diverse in different sports, but it is still a common theme of the new young generation of players wants to celebrate, get a little flashy, have a little fun on the field versus the old school still definitely exists in sports like hockey, like baseball, where there is that established 50 years of you win, you shake hands, you celebrate, and you skate off the ice, you walk into the dugout type of thing. Can I remind you that a certain player got injured from their celebration? <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Which player are you talking about? We talked about this in our previous episode, so if y'all haven't listened, you should check that out. Um, but I will say, that is something, This like goal celebrations or like home run celebrations is definitely a point of contention that is probably going to go on forever and ever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good transition to talking about how Evgeny Kuznetsov has asked for trade out of the Washington Capitals. And he's been marked with a lot of controversy in the past, specifically with goal celebrations. He's done like a flapping bird kind of goal celebration um, in the past. And he was really critical for the Caps um, 2018. 2018? Stanley? Yeah. 2018 Stanley Cup win. But since then, he's really fallen out of favor with um, the Caps management and there's been a lot of questions with his work, work ethic and a lot of controversies surrounding his personal life. Like, there was a video taken in 2019, which got him suspended from the IIHF with, like, potential cocaine usage. So it's just been a lot of um, personal controversy um, surrounding him. So to me, it's no shock that he's asked for a trade out of Washington. But interesting to see because um, I feel like that kind of matches up with Jacob Vrana's exit from Detroit, which happened recently when he came out of the NHLPA assistance program, and now he's kind of, he's happy to be on the Blues, but a lot of teams, such as Washington and Detroit, have already um, kicked tires on him. Well, there's sort of two different thought processes that I have coming off of that. One is that when you're a flashy player and you're celebrating and all the back pages, I know being in New York, I know about this from guys like Matt Harvey, where when you're a star and you're young and you're good, it works and you can do whatever you want and as long as you sort of go out and party at night but as long as you show up the next day and you perform good and do whatever you (laughs) want to do matt harvey but then it becomes a situation like it seems like we've reached here where the flashiness and the off the field issues i don't know if they warrant all of that stuff considering the amount of player that you are on the field so it's you need that balancing act between both it doesn't seem like he has that right now which maybe is a little too harsh of a statement to say but once a superstar realize, or reaches that point where they're no longer a superstar, you also need to tailor back the behind-the-scenes aspect as well. Another thing that I did want to point out about this, and it started in the NFL a couple years ago about this asking to be traded, requesting to be traded. You've technically, and maybe this is an old-school baseball approach, but once you sign a contract with a team, I feel like it's a mutual commitment. Like, for example, yeah. the team has said, we're going to pay you X amount every single year. And usually it's that you're committed as well to, okay, I'm going to play for you guys for X amount Mm -hmm. of years. Now, some baseball players have started the whole opt-out after year two, and so did NFL recently, where players have the ability to leave when they want to. But that's agreed upon at the beginning of the deal. Like, okay, after three years, let's see where we're at. Versus 
a player now that just gets fed up is in his current situation and just says, screw you guys, I'm out of here. And, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting scenario. No, here's the thing, because even though they asked for a trade, like, the power is all in management's hands. And I think a great example of both the player and management handling a trade request well is um, Vladimir Tarasenko mm-hmm. and Jake DeBrus, but two very different um, sides of the spectrum, where with Jake DeBrus, he asked for a trade out of Boston and then ultimately rescinded that trade request because he realized, like, I mean, the Boston Bruins, <laughs> like, great locker room culture, like, they've been going on runs, he's kind of found his game, and I think with the coaching change, that also helped um, from Bruce Cassidy to Jim Montgomery. But then with Vladimir T- Tarasenko, he had asked for a trade, and, and it was like a year and a half before he finally got traded to the Rangers, and what he did was elevate his game to another level. He was coming off of, um, I believe, surgery. I don't know if it was shoulder surgery, but it was definitely a major surgery. He was exposed to the Seattle Kraken expansion draft. They didn't take him, um, but he played lights out for like over a season, and then he finally got traded, and that really helped the St. Louis Blues acquire assets for him and then helped him go to the Rangers, which who wouldn't want to play for the New York Rangers? Sorry. I wouldn't. Sorry, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, you are correct. It was a dislocated uh, shoulder surgery right. that he came back from. But yeah. it's really showing, and maybe this is also a transition. I know we said we wanted to go to March Madness next, but Lamar Jackson's also tweeting about his mm-hmm. whole wanting to get traded, so I don't know if we want to go there yeah. first. But sort of looking at the whole landscape of sports, and maybe this ties back to the – Players are getting more flashy. They think they're the prima donna, and they think that the world runs around them. <laughs> that players think they have the power to just do whatever they want to do. And whether that's Lamar Jackson tweeting out, I requested a trade, and I want to get out of Baltimore, but don't worry, it's not you guys. Like, I don't get when players do that when they say, it's not about you, it's me, but at the same time, it's not me. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers going on McAfee <laughs> and saying, I want to get traded. Same thing with... You know, all the NFL, all the NHL players saying they want to get traded. It's an interesting market in sports. Here's the thing. When it comes to debates of, like, player versus management, I feel like I always side with the players because mm-hmm. the management, like, it, like, has so much more power than them. But I do agree that, like, they were the ones who signed the contract. But I will say it takes two sides to have a relationship go sour. So um, I think they're exercising their rights in the sense that if they're requesting a trade, they're trying to do that. And... Like, they could opt to not play. But at the end of the day, it is management's decision to um, decide where it goes. And I will say it's interesting because it Lamar Jackson painting it as a tweet, a, like a letter to his fans <laughs> and personally answering questions really makes him seem like the good guy and management is the bad guy, which I think does happen quite often. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will say, again, I do support the player, like, I would say 90% of the time mm-hmm. because the management are, like, they're the billionaires. They're the ones um, that are trading away, like, the entire team. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it is interesting how now there's a standoff. And in terms of, like, business is business, we can see with, we talked about the Deshaun Watson signing last week and how that's been a really big looming factor over Lamar Jackson and how, like, I don't know either of these guys personally, obviously, <laughs> but in terms of the personal issues that they've had, like, Deshaun Watson had, like, sexual assault <laughs> cases against him, and Lamar Jackson just, like, wants his contract. So I'm like, yeah, I feel like it it, it gets easy to get really hurt over a situation. The Deshaun Watson contract, to sum it up, and I know a couple of Cleveland Browns fans who are very torn when this move <laughs> happened because yeah. when he's, I don't know if the word's not healthy because he's been healthy, when he's on the field, he's a top 10 quarterback 
in the league. And I don't think most people, nobody's really denying that. The problem is, you know, going back to the whole on the field, off the field issue that we just talked about, there's a lot off the field when it comes to him. Like, that's, yeah. a, that's an understatement. Yeah. But when he became the first player to have his contract fully guaranteed, and I believe it was around $240 million, $220, right. I don't know if we can find that number somewhere, but I think that broke the sport in that, for example, you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, the undisputed best quarterback in the league. Yes, he signed a 10-year... <laughs> Who knows? Um, but Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year $450 million. And you think, okay, Deshaun got 240 and Patrick Mahomes got 450 So you think, okay, Mahomes, easily highest-paid player in the sport. But technically with football contracts, for people who don't know, not all of it is guaranteed. Mahomes on signing only got $140 million of that 450 guaranteed. Basically, if you were to get injured... In year one, never play football again. He only gets 140 of the 450. Deshaun Watson's the first player ever where he got all of it guaranteed on day one. He's collecting 220 and if he never takes another snap again in his life. So that's where you get to Lamar now, who could, yeah, that's why. in theory, get a contract like Mahomes, where it is $300 million, which is a mm-hmm. crazy amount to even think about. But he wants the Deshaun Watson contract and yeah. that everything is guaranteed and that's where you run into the question of, so he doesn't have the off-the-field issues. He's probably on par, if not a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. So why wouldn't he get more? Well, the problem is that the Browns just went psycho and they offered Deshaun <laughs> Watson a crazy contract I know, that's never they're probably like they, they definitely probably would have wanted Lamar Jackson over Deshaun Watson, but it's like now the remaining teams are yeah. like, even the ones that do have the cap space to do it, they're, they don't want to take that risk. Exactly. So interesting, for <laughs> sure. Um, but moving on to March Madness... So, y'all, I'm I'm sad to report. How's that bracket going? <laughs> really poorly. <laughs> Thank you for asking. But, you know, it's the, the Turf and Bird podcast <laughs> bracket, so you're just as much in it mm-hmm. as me, Dylan. True. <laughs> Even though I take full responsibility for it. Um, so now we're down to the final four, and not a single one of my picks are in. Y'all know that I picked University of Houston to win it all, and the only consolation that I have of them you know, getting out of the tournament is that Alabama also lost. (laughs) So that's the only thing that makes it okay in my head. But other than that, every single one of the Texas teams is out. So our final four is San Diego State, Miami. So both of those have been fifth seeds. And then UConn, which I think is now the favorite to win. And they were the fourth seed. And then finally FAU, which is the ninth seed. So since y'all know, I love a good underdog. (laughs) I think you can already guess who I'm rooting for. And that is FAU. <laughs> oh, you love underdogs. I do. I will say, before we started recording, Dylan is convinced UConn is winning, so I'm holding him to that. Well, I'm not allowed to officially like say, right. oh, I can root for this team. Right. I want to root for this team. But let's just say that the two final four matchups, um, the teams that I'm rooting for, I'm not allowed to say their names, but... I went to a grammar school called St. David's School, known as SDS. <laughs> so if you'd like to make a prediction as to who I'm rooting for on that okay. side. San Diego well, State. <laughs> potentially. And on the other side of the bracket, Paige Beckers is a WNBA player. But mm. if she were to play on the men's team of this mm. school, that would be the school that I'd root for on mm. that side. So use got some it, context got it, got it. to figure out the two teams I that like I'm how you for. went about saying that. See, technically, no NCAA violation. I, I did not say that I was rooting for a team. It's just people put some pieces of the puzzle together. <laughs> and then on the women's side, again, also not doing too great. Um, but, you know, so, yeah, 
I like I said last time, I picked UT to win, and they got out very early. But I still have Maryland in – they haven't played yet, but they could make the Final Four. Um, and I believe it's going to be either – well, LSU is set, and then it's either going to be Virginia Tech or mm-hmm. Miami. I think I'm re- – this bracket looks more confusing than the rest of the... Yeah, I know. No, but I'm... Yeah, I, I'm, like, at a loss for who. I guess Maryland, because Georgetown is close to Maryland. But, or LSU, because, you know, it's close to Texas. So, we'll see. I don't have a strong strong feeling again about either of them, but <laughs> sad to report that. Unfortunately, all of our picks are, out, are off. Okay, so I think I'm reading this right, and that LSU already advanced to the yes. final four. South Carolina plays against Maryland, and that's technically today, but that will have already yeah. happened. This is Monday, March listening. 27th is when we're recording. You also have Iona has advanced. Yes. As well as Ohio State plays Virginia Tech yeah. later today as well. Yes. So that's a lot to handle. That Obviously, when you guys are listening, you'll know who's actually in the Final Four, which will definitely be fun. In fact, you might actually be in the Final Four while, we got, while you're listening to this episode. But... Definitely something to keep an eye out for. Can we just ask for your percentages on both both brackets? <laughs> Is it above 20? Oh, no. Yes, actually. Well, I think they redid. I don't know if they, like, recalibrated the men's. Okay. Um, because originally I was not like, <laughs> 17%, I think. But now it's back to, like, 49, 46%. Okay. So I don't know if that's looking at the whole entire bracket or just the, like, top 16. <laughs> but um, I'm at 430 points, if that helps. <laughs> and then I'm at 510 points for the women's side, which is 29%. So thank you. Right. Solid. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, but... in baseball, that's a good average. You're hitting like 290. <laughs> yeah. Great transition to the MLB opening day. Which day is it, Dylan? It is Thursday. So I don't know, the date's be... at the 31st, I yeah, believe. Yeah, that would be the 30th. 30th. March 30th. Um, but something we wanted to talk about is the MLB new spring training rules for this upcoming season. So, Dylan, if you want to give us the breakdown of what those are and what you kind of expect to see for the upcoming season or opening day. So, basically, MLB has a problem with timing in their games, which Caroline has expressed in the past. And yes. I'm the type of person that if you put on a <laughs> three-and-a-half-hour baseball game, I will still watch it. But I understand that also makes me a little crazy. So what MLB has done is they want... That is true. (laughs) Um, But MLB has decided that they're going to shorten the times of games by implementing a bunch of new rules such as a pitch clock, uh, replay rules, new shifts, all this sort of stuff, and I'll say it in a second. But basically, they want people to be able to start and finish a baseball game within three hours maximum. There was a game this week between the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets. It was two hours and eight minutes. Now, I know yes. I know you don't like watching baseball. When baseball games are now the length of a long movie, mm-hmm. I think it's more attainable to think that people could actually watch right. a baseball game. Now, I don't understand how these rules are actually helping. For example, that there's no shift in baseball. They're claiming induces more contact, which as a result is going to speed up the game. But I think doesn't that mean we're going to have more singles and more hits, which would make me think the game's going to go longer? But apparently it's working. They're bigger bases, which means more steals, which I guess means that more failed steal attempts, which means more quicker outs. Um, But the big rule that is having an impact is the pitch clock. And at first I was really against it, having pitched at high school and pitched (laughs) at club baseball here at Georgetown. 
as a pitcher, you want to have full control over what you can do. Mm-hmm. And having a clock that basically says, you have 10 seconds to throw this baseball, otherwise you're getting an automatic ball, you're getting an automatic strike if you're a batter you're not ready within five seconds, which is really short amount of time. <laughs> but time. I guess maybe this is where all the time is going, that batters <laughs> used to in the past like switch their batting gloves, adjust their gloves, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff that baseball people usually do to occupy time in between pitches. I don't know. It's weird because at the same time now, if we were to go to a baseball game and all of a sudden we have to go to the bathroom and get a hot dog, we're missing two innings, mm. which is a lot. But I think for the watching experience on TV, it seems to be making people have a better time. I just don't know when you're at the ballpark if it's a better time. Got it. I will say, do you think this has an impact on cheating in baseball? Ooh. <laughs> um... Because well, I feel like it would decrease it. Like, I know everyone is going to think immediately about the Astros. and You brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And you know, stealing signs and banging on the trash cans. And also with, like, sometimes pitchers will use, like, sticky stuff mm-hmm. on their gloves. And that will have to be reduced, I'm sure, with the pitch clock. So, thoughts? So, the only way that I think, I agree, it's going to be harder because you don't have enough time to, like, relay the signal mm-hmm. in between. But, and this would have to require, like, get an MIT nerd to be on your baseball staff or something like that. (laughs) But now as a result of this, they're not going to do the traditional, you know, like put a fastball, a finger down for a fastball or curveball. Instead, players are going to be signaling on their wristwatches that they're going to be allowed to wear, like fastball. So somehow the opposing team can pick up the, again, that's why you got to get the MIT nerd to be able to do this. (laughs) But if you can pick up the signal somehow between the pitcher and the catcher, I feel like you would know what every Mm. single pitch is coming. I don't know if, because I don't know if it's like a walkie-talkie yeah. or something. It's apparently the pitcher has it on like the wrist strap of his glove and the catcher has it flipping like this. So I don't know how you'd be able to interrupt that transmission. But, you know, when you go yeah. digital, it's going to help things go faster. But there's also a better chance that technology breaks or, right. you know, anything like that could happen. I feel like in the short term, so there's definitely going to be a transition period. But mm-hmm. I think in the short term, there will re- it will reduce cheating. But then in the long term, I'm sure teams will be able to yeah. figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like your Astros. They'll figure out a way. <laughs> Whoa, we just won the last World Series. No cheating. So no one can say anything anymore. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Although there are rumors of buzzers in 2019. There's rumors of trash cans in 2017. Mm. Let's see in the Astros, I believe your campaign for this year is ready to rain with like the two mm-hmm. in it because you want to go back to back championships. We'll see what you guys have in store for the 2023 season. And something I did want to talk about is refs so dylan do you want we can start with the mlb umpires but then moving on to some interesting headlines with nba and nhl um refs as well well i think what sparked this conversation shows you how much planning we do going into episodes that we're not planning on talking about this until around let me say 10 minutes before recording is that jt realmuto of the philadelphia phillies was ejected from a spring training baseball game because it's bad when it's spring training exactly and <laughs> i think it was like, it was basically like i don't even know how if you haven't seen the video yet definitely go watch that and then come back to this as we try to explain what happens but a foul ball happens so naturally an umpire gives the catcher the ball and the catcher throws it back to the pitcher nice and simple straightforward easy process the umpire all game had basically been throwing the ball back to the pitcher, not without the catcher, which some umpires do because they feel like they're still players, so they throw the ball back to the pitcher. Apparently, like, Real Muto puts his glove out to to get the ball from the umpire, 
waits like three seconds and then figures, oh, I guess he's not giving me, puts the glove down. Then the ump gives him the ball, which means the ball just falls to the floor. The umpire found that disrespectful, so he threw him out of the game. I, I don't know how that works, but apparently umpire thought that that was rude of Real Muto and he tossed him out of the game. But this sort of goes along and Kelly's about to get into this. Umpires, refs, everything to do with that, they seem to be interjecting themselves into games a lot more often. I know the NFL had this a ton this season where it was like every single play you'd expect the flag rather than not expect the flag anymore. So your thoughts on basically umpires, refs, in all the sports not making the game about themselves, but really, you know, interjecting themselves into situations. Yeah, I am very against it. And I, I don't know if this is actually a trend, but it, it in my head it seems to be one where it's a lot of the more established refs and not the, like, refs that are just getting into the leagues um, that are really asserting themselves into the game and calling it a certain way. And I wonder if that's because they feel that they're established. They feel like they've earned their spot as an official, as an umpire, as a ref in the leagues that they're officiating. And so they, they want to call it a very specific way. And a lot of players who might be younger than them or might be in the league for a shorter period mm-hmm. than them, they feel like they deserve a level of respect and that they can keep calling the game the way that they've been calling it for 10 plus years, even though the games have obviously changed and adapted. And one thing that I really wanted to point out is like NBA fines that have just, even just this past week that have been occurring. And we don't really talk about the NBA that much, but um, I think it's interesting too how different leagues go about not necessarily firing their officials, but demoting them. For example, after Fred Van Vliet's like viral rant or criticism of ref Ben Taylor in the NBA, um, they didn't fire him. They kind of just demoted him to, <laughs> yeah, they just, I they demoted him. So like in his assignment. So I'm not really sure exactly how that's going to work, but he's a 37 year old official who's had like 10 seasons of 10 seasons of experience. So I think it's interesting because a lot of these players have been taking a ton of fines. Like Luca was fine, thirty five thousand recently, but then got it it rescinded. Like Trey Young re- threw a ball at a ref. <laughs> There's just been a lot, a lot of fines. And then on the NHL side, we've seen that too, where refs have. It just seems like refs have really been um, getting in the way. And I think this happened last season, but. Tim Peel, a ref, got caught on Mike saying, I'm looking for, like, a <laughs> – I'm looking to give, like, X team a penalty right here because they wanted to keep the penalty minutes the same per mm-hmm. team. So I'm like, I think that's so interesting. I'm like – and it's not consistent. Either, like, t- either officials are going to call, like, everything or nothing or they'll call, like, a really soft call mm-hmm. and then not call – for example, when Brock Nelson was hit straight into the boards, they're not going to call that. And then he's, like, bleeding, and I'm like, what is going on? And then they'll call, like, high-sticking or something. Yeah. It's really just, like, a matter of, and I know there was another example of this, where an MLB ump or not MLB, a college baseball umpire said he just wanted to go home and the game was time to be over, <laughs> which I didn't know an umpire was allowed to say. But basically there was two outs in the ninth inning. Um, and I don't know if I can find the video somehow for you afterwards. But basically... The ball literally bounced before it reached home plate. He's like, strike. And the, the kid looks back at him like, that's a strike? And he's like, yep. And, of course, there's a little, like, banter back and forth between the college athlete who thinks that nothing's a strike. And on this particular play, he was right that it wasn't a strike. 
And then basically the umpire on the very next pitch with two strikes left, you knew in his head it was like anything close after an argument with the player is going to be called a strike. The ball almost hit the other batter's box, and he still called it a strike game over. So it really seems like umpires, and I don't know if it's an ego thing. I don't know if it's a matter of, like, they want to be playing, so they feel like this is their way of still participating in the game. I know the NFL, and it is tough. Don't get me wrong. For example, if you're sprinting down a field and you see a hit happen, your instinct, your instinct could be one way or another of, like, that seemed dirty, or, you know, it's football, let the game happen. But it's really... Like, I commend them. It's a tough job. It's a thankless. You never hear anyone say, great game by the refs today. Usually, <laughs> if they have a great game, no one talks about yeah, it Yeah, exactly. But when they screw up, I know. you know, it's the number yeah. one news story. So it's a thankless job, but at the same time, if leagues can help with that process, whether it's a robot umpire in baseball, whether it's an automatic, like, a standardized set of rules in the NHL and NFL on what constitutes an illegal hit. Because right now, I think... The rule is just like a rough hit, which is like, what does rough mean? Um, like, for example, the NFL rule is roughing the passer. Well, what, is, what does roughing <laughs> what mean? Um, so I think it's normalizing the, those rules in a ways that it's not in the umpire or ref's hands to, con- to determine the whole output of a game, whether it's a robot umpire calling balls or strikes, whether it's a NHL, NFL ref being able to say, like, he made contact with his head, that's an automatic penalty. Um, is definitely something worth watching for, especially with now that we have the technology, I think, to do this type of stuff mm-hmm. with replay, with extra HD cameras, you know, it's all out there for us to be able to do. And that's another thing, especially with the NHL. I'm pretty sure, like, the NFL now does, like, replay. Same with NBA. Mm-hmm. They've done replays of, like, penalties and technicals and things like that. But NHL does not do that at all. And I also just think across the board, it's interesting to see that refs are getting on star players that have reputations of being really careful with their words or like not showing emotion even when calls go against them for example Kawhi Leonard got a tech recently and he like very rarely ever I would say shows strong emotion um and like he got thrown out a month ago Sidney Crosby got a literally an ejection I think it was a 10 minute um a a 10-minute penalty, and then a game misconduct. Sidney Crosby, of all people, who I would say is probably the most respected player, and not probably, is the most respected NHL player. Like, I don't know what ref is throwing out Sidney Crosby or giving him a 10-minute misconduct and game misconduct. But, like, that to me just, you know the character of these guys. That to me just seems like the refs are taking it a step too far. And I think they have to decide either they're going to, like, completely call the game exactly like I can't I there's just like wishy-washiness in terms and I'm sure the rules too like some of it's like okay like what is puck mm-hmm. gloss or like what is roughing like you were mentioning but it's like you can't just yeah I don't know I'm like this seems kind of odd you sort of have to like in a way just let you know with a sport like hockey or football it's going to be a rough physical tough game and at some points now obviously there's some plays that are egregious and you have to like throw the flag out there because that was awful but it's sort of like you know it's going to be a physical sport, and as much as it's, like, tough luck on the players, you sort yeah. of almost have to let some of it happen. Right. I really sound anti-player in today's episode. <laughs> you from, do. From all the contract stuff to now saying <laughs> concussion disagree. tough. No, I know. But, <laughs> but, like, in general, when you think about it, like, you're not signing up to play football if you're not 
going to take a tough hit on occasion. It's it's a really tough <laughs> stance and line to take. Wow. But, like, when when a ref comes in, like, for example, I forget which game it was. I think it was the, the Chiefs-Bengals game where all of a sudden you call the – you called a flag on a play that was like borderline and right. that basically sent the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. It's like, why not just let it play out and let them actually play those final 45 mm-hmm. seconds with like Mahomes having a decent chance at winning the game. But when they called the flag, it basically ended it and that the Chiefs were going to the Super Bowl with ease. Um, yeah. Here's the thing. That's why I'm like, either you, I just think they need to pick a direction. Mm-hmm. If in that game, if they call everything, then players yeah. are going to adjust uh-huh. and they're going to be more careful. Or if they call nothing, then players are going to adjust to that. So I, I don't think that refs can go an entire game without calling anything and letting that physicality happen. And then all of a sudden, yeah. when it's like a game time decision where it's so important and it becomes like a monumental, oh my God, monumental call where they call like it's called a soft call because they haven't been calling anything the entire game and then the one thing that they do call becomes like this huge blow up thing so I'm like can they just pick a direction uh-huh. and I will say with the playoffs like I think refs tend to call less yeah. like fewer um, mm-hmm. fewer things so that is definitely something to keep in mind but then that's what I'm saying like they call those things mm-hmm. and then like Brad Marchand is allowed to just break a player's stick and then he's <laughs> left stickless or like People are able to, like, just spit in people's faces or, like... So, it's interesting, like, the wild disparity between what gets called and what doesn't get called and how that's viewed. I'm sorry to MLB players or college athletes who are listening (laughs) to this episode. I feel I'm probably taking too hard of a stance on players this episode. I love players. Yeah, Dylan, let's talk about how your injury is healing. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, I think, like, sports in general, we need... Our players, and this is where I'm going to try to, in the last couple of minutes, try to be <laughs> salvage nice to the yourself. players and salvage, because <laughs> I guarantee if all of a sudden you guys on the baseball team listening to this episode and like, well, Dylan hates us. I do not <laughs> hate sports athletes or players. The game grows and is dependent on the players and superstars that make it. Shohei Otani is the biggest attraction sports has had. I'm, I'm willing to say that. Sports yeah. has had wow. in years. <laughs> and it's all because he's a marquee player who's marketable and good to the fans, and good for baseball. So while I have been bashing players about getting the money, and RoboUmps, somehow I connected that to bashing (laughs) players. I don't know how I did that in the end. But players are what make our sports. And if that is a guy like Lamar Jackson who thinks, I got to go get mine and get my bag of money, then (laughs) go do that. And there's going to be some team, although right now it doesn't appear like there is, but there's going to be some team that is eventually going to sign him. And if you're a player on the Capitals who doesn't want to be in Washington anymore and trading your way out of there, <laughs> go do that. Because there's going to be some team out there, hopefully, that gives you a shot. So backing up on a little bit of my whole mm. don't ask for a trade, shut up and play <laughs> mentality that I that yeah, it seems like I might have school. put out there. Like, at the end of the day, they are the ones that are sacrificing themselves to go play the game. Right. So if you feel like you're a football quarterback and you're not playing unless you make $250 million, which is crazy to think about, but if that's really your mentality, then that is your prerogative to go do that. That's what I'm saying, though, too, because if like leagues don't protect their star players especially, mm-hmm. then they're – like, they're pro- – yeah. management's products is going to go down. For example, like, people pay to go see Shohei Otani play or, like, Connor McDavid or Patrick Mahomes, and if those guys are injured. And the NFL has really protected their mm-hmm. quarterbacks, and that's literally one of the biggest reasons why Tom Brady can still play. Um, Ooh, so now you're saying he can still play, too. <laughs> 
whoa. <laughs> um, but that's like, like you have to protect your product. And that's why I think players should. I, for example, I think, I think more things should be called mm-hmm. to protect the players. But I also think, um, and that will, I think, help refs in terms of knowing what they can quote yeah. or can't call, like in terms of what's socially <laughs> acceptable. But I also think in line with having more penalties or fouls or whatever called, players and coaches should be able to publicly speak mm-hmm. out about their um, disagreements or maybe their, like, dissatisfaction with the refs without getting fined yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars for just that. Like, I, it doesn't make sense to me that, for example, a coach can be fined or, like, a player can be fined $30,000 and then only be fined, like, for literally just talking back to ref and then be only fined like five thousand mm-hmm. dollars for a really really dangerous play so that just doesn't add up to me that just feels like the league doesn't want leagues don't want players like speaking out or showing their personality or like literally just expressing their dissatisfaction and wanting the game to improve so that's what more my issue is i would love for umpires and refs to have post-game press conferences yeah just like how they would love that too because you know they want a platform to talk about their calls well because especially it's like if a manager has to make his call on why you pulled a pitcher in the eighth inning or why you subbed out a player on a defensive line i would love for an umpire or a ref to have to say why'd you call that flag there and yeah and I bet you'd get a ton of answers like heat of the moment. That's what I thought. But like, yeah, that's what managers say too. Of why did you pull Edwin Diaz in the ninth inning? Although we don't have to worry <laughs> about that this year. But if it's like, why did you pull him? Oh, heat of the moment. Like, you're gonna keep getting pressed until you get an yeah, actual answer. Yeah. Just like here, if it's like, why did you call that flag? You'll get an answer eventually. Like, oh, I saw him slash on the head. I saw him do blah blah blah. Yeah. That sort of thing. No, exactly. Or even even if it's because I think the. Post game press conference by the refs or umpires would definitely help, or even just literally like a two minute like recap yeah. video if there's something, especially for playoff games. Mm-hmm. I'm like, especially because there's like millions of dollars riding on that. Yeah. There's like so much at stake, and the fact that one call can go either way. And that's why I think for the Super Bowl, I don't know if you guys remember seeing that people were really convinced that the Super Bowl was going to be staged <laughs> <laughs> and that there is that final score between the Eagles and the Chiefs. Um, and honestly, it got really close to that. <laughs> so people were very, very um, convinced that the refs were doing some staging or maybe the NFL. But I'm like, I truly would just like to hear more about the reasoning. And I think that would help in terms of people being more sympathetic to the refs. And I, I, we all get that it is a hard job. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't that means that maybe there could be more training involved. Maybe yeah. you add more refs to I don't know if it's on the field necessarily but maybe you have one like in the stands mm-hmm. or the I don't really know just some more options that is that are better than what we're doing now. And baseball they did at least start and this wasn't associated with baseball but it's now picked up so much steam in the industry that baseball has acknowledged that it does exist. There was this Twitter account that would do like umpire scorecards yeah. and would basically <laughs> After Where was each Angel game. Hernandez on? <laughs> <laughs> but it would basically just like say like okay this is a general strike zone. Yeah. This is how many he called strikes that were actually balls. And this for how many balls he actually mm-hmm. called strikes, and it started to raise awareness. I forget the umpire's name, but there was one that like went on a streak of like ten consecutive games of like one or two maximum missed calls, and That's all of a sudden, so exactly, wild. and that was it was the first time where you've ever seen an umpire getting like 
positive publicity. Yeah. And that could be the type of thing, like, for example, I don't know how you, because baseball, it's at least, it's yeah. weird in that there's a tangible, yeah. did you call the ball or strike correctly versus, yeah. I don't know what it would be in the NHL yeah. and NFL, but sort of that extra incentive of acknowledging when they do well. Right. In order to then slander them when they yeah. do awful. I'm like, can you incentivize refs to make better calls? Yeah. I don't like, know. do they get a pay raise? Do they get a bonus? <laughs> I don't know. What's the equivalent of like a, a signing bonus or like a you reach this many games mm. played bonus, but for refs, you, you oh. get this many correct <laughs> calls. But then at the same time, it's like, it's their job to get yeah. it correct. So I don't yeah. know. It's interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. Thankless job. so true but yeah i'm like some definitely i but it's just always a problem and i feel like the refereeing has just gotten way Mm -hmm. worse this season yeah um well i think this is the end of our episode unless there's anything you wanted to speak about dylan i think i'm all good by the time we record next the mets will have played three games so that (laughs) will heavily impact my mood on how we're recording on that monday after our first series with the dylan Overreacting. I believe also the <laughs> Islanders, how many games will we play by then? Three or four more games potentially? I know, they only means, have, what, eight games left? Yes, which means that <laughs> our playoff fate could be determined by the next time we're recording, which, again, could have a massive <laughs> mood swing. And I'll also make the bold prediction that I think Lamar Jackson's situation is handled. Really? By the next Who time do you we think he's going to go to? Nowhere. You think he's going to stay with the Ravens? I think he goes to the Ravens or he's sitting out. Because okay. I don't know if any team is going to pay $250 million to get him. Wow. I will say... Uh, your turn. Your turn to give a bold <laughs> prediction. I'm not I will say, um, I apparently as recently as last week, they were still mm-hmm. having like extension talks yeah. with the Ravens. So I'm like, that's interesting. I think for the game, I would enjoy it if Lamar Jackson was you know, no longer a Raven. (laughs) I mentioned Atlanta Falcons last time, the Colts. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see the Texans. Yeah. I don't (laughs) think that's in the cards for them. But also maybe some teams that didn't make big free agency splashes yet could be the Titans. Miami Dolphins, move on from Tua. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. New York Jets, move on from Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, Lions could go even further. Like, Mm -hmm. so many options. Patriots. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know how they're feeling about. (laughs) We love Mac Jones. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm like, how does Bill Belichick feel? Because he's in, yeah, he's been kind of been kicked off. Yeah. To buy, I don't remember who their second quarterback is, but Mm -hmm. he's a starter. Anyways. I'm going to say he's going to be an Atlanta Falcon. I like it. All right. So by the next time we're recording, hopefully we'll have some baseball underway. We'll have hockey playoffs will pretty much be decided. There will be a couple races still to go. Maybe a Lamar Jackson resolution. We'll probably have the winner of March Madness, I assume, by then. So lots of fun things happening until the next time we record. And most importantly, another Formula One Grand Prix. How could I forget about that? (laughs) Which Dylan is definitely... Catching up on. Is this one of the three American ones? 
Wait. Is it? I don't. I actually have to check. I don't think so. Wow, I've stumped you again for the second consecutive week. No, no, it's week. not. It's Australia. Sorry, I knew. I was like, it's okay, not. Well, that means it's going to be like 3 a.m. our time when it's happening, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not getting up for that one. Sorry. <laughs> That's uh, too funny. Um, it's actually 1 a.m. Thank you very much. <laughs> More manageable. Dylan's up at that time. <laughs> thank you. Um, but thank you all for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you guys next time. And until the next time, the turf is officially burned.